All right, all right, all right. Let's get fired up here. Maximum freedom. Read. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Actual Anarchy Podcast. Podcast we're talking about movies from a Rothbardian and narco capitalist perspective, and we are back with an old friend of ours from up north. We will introduce him on the last night's portion of the show, but this is one of his favorite movies, and I say favorite with you. We're going to be talking about the Warriors tonight on this 144th episode of the show. You can find the show on smart actualanarchy.com slash one four four. Before we get to that, let's say hello to Robert, who is furiously packing and trying to sell things so that he can make his move to the Netherlands, another region of central western or central Washington state, right? Something like that. Moving out to the hills there, my friend. Yeah, uh, yeah, the Great Barren East. I don't know. I don't know what you even call it. The the Great Plateau, the uh, Spokane Plain, the Wenatchee Divide. I don't know. There's some kind of geological term for that place, but uh, it's the um, Okanagan Highlands. And the impetus is entrepreneurial in nature, right? So you are you are voting with your feet to go and chase a dream, so to speak. You're running down a dream there, Tom Petty. Yeah, I'm chasing the dragon. There's, uh, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, can't fool me again. Um, there is an opportunity over there, eastward, eastward, eastward ho, to um, get in on a startup for uh, a Thai food operation that is, um, it's got a really solid, strong start. And uh, they're just looking to expand aggressively. So that's what I'm going to be there for. So you're going to be expanding your turf, which is very appropriate for tonight's episode where we're going to be talking about the warriors. Yeah, I might have to do some, what, bonking, borking, blanking? What was that? Bopping. It it's bopping, my friend. Bopping. I got my, my got to do some bopping. All right, so how can we tell our audience to bop us in a way that supports what we do here, Robert? And then we'll get into Last Nighters. Well, you can leave a review for us on the iTunes. You can tell a friend. You can help us out on Patreon. You can leave a comment. You could subscribe to us on the YouTubes. You could uh, subscribe to us on the Stitchers or your favorite MP3-enabled device that also listens to podcasts and broadcasts things yourself. Yeah, all those any, good any, any those, All those ways and more. You can get it to us on the Facebooks. Right, Daniel? There's Facebooks still? That's right. And I actually just started a new super secret group that's for our live stream level Patreon supporters and also past guests and my wife called the Actual Anarchy Golden Circle live stream access group where they are now watching this as we speak. And we are interacting with interacting with people. Uh, we've had over an hour of pre-show content. Most of it garbage, actually. But uh, I think some of it good. And... So, you know, if you want more of that, uh, let us know. Give us some more money that, you know, help Dre buy a Ferrari Testarossa fund. We we totally appreciate that. Keep the lights on and all, you, all the rest. You could sell ice to Eskimo, sir. You are just magic to my ears. <laughs> I, I am working on the salesmanship. By the way, let's get into that last year's person. I'm dying to get our guest on the, on the line with us here. So without further ado, okay. can you count suckers?
everyone, it's Daniel Evelyn and Robert Johnson, The Last Nighters, and The Last Nighters are part of the Launchpad Media, where they're always launching new ideas in your direction. Check it out at thelaunchpadmedia.com. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the Warriors, uh, and our friend Mike C is going to come out to play on this episode, which will be episode 87 of the show. You can find the show on more at lastnighter.com slash 87. And before we get to that, uh, Robert and I are your guests or yeah, hosts. We're your hosts. Oh, we yeah. have a guest. Mike C has mm. been with us many, many times in the past. He's a he's a good friend from the Great White North. Uh, he spells favorite with you, and this is one of his favorite movies. So, Mike C, welcome to the show. It's uh, it's been hey, it's been a long time, but uh, yeah. you are a popular guest for us. Your shows, your appearances get a lot of uh, views, listens, uh, traction, and action. So, welcome. Oh, back. great! Glad to hear that. So one of the things. Thanks for having me. <laughs> one of the things about, here, about this movie is you have created what I consider a musical masterpiece, and it's like a concept album that utilizes the Warriors audio clips and some of the soundtrack for a good portion of the album, the concept album. Yeah. About, about half. Yeah. Roughly half of it. And so I think that ties in really well with um, part of our discussion tonight about this movie. Cause as we said, it is one of your favorites. And so I kind of want to interweave that with your music. And then we'll of course have a link to the album and your other work on the show notes page at lastnight.com slash 87. Thank you. Uh, that's very nice of you to say um about the masterpiece part uh yeah no it's hard it's yeah I, I mean it doesn't have a lot of traction i guess out there i get a lot like get some views i got about like my entire spectrum of work i think on soundcloud and soundcloud is about 1200 views over four years so that it's not a crazy amount right all right well um, take those i try to get that particular one out there well take mm-hmm. take the compliments with a grain of salt and consider the source no, thank no. What I was saying is that I really appreciate that because I think it's very good, uh, and it's nice to get some sort of external validation on what I've done. So, all right. Well, you're welcome, and uh, I say it in the uh, non Michael Mouse sense. Okay. <laughs> all right. So mm. we start off with the Google description usually. So uh, Robert and Mike, if you guys are ready, mm. we can get into this movie. I'll give you my thoughts. All right. We want those <laughs> thoughts, Robert. This is going to be a contentious turf battle, I think. Oh, oh, weird. Robert doesn't like a movie. <laughs> I know, right? I have my reasons. How cliche. Yeah, you don't like movies. <laughs> That's the reason. It's just a blanket problem. The anyway, host, let's hear it. The host of a movie movie podcast. You don't like movies. Perfect. All That's right. Good. You got a Cisco Lieber thing going on. We do. I, oh, yeah. Sneak preview teaser style. Next year, the voluntarist um, comic book is going to have us in the centerfold position yet again with beautiful artwork that's going to be a, a, its own masterpiece concept that uh, i'm really looking forward to and we will share that actually with our patreon bonus people when it, when we have some drafts and some concepts uh ready to share but before we uh divert too much further here we go the warriors on the google the warriors 1979 it's a mystery slash crime movie according to the google uh one hour and 34 minutes 7.6 on the IMDb, 89% Rotten Tomatoes, 65% Metacritic. However, 95% of the people like it. And here is the description. A turf battle between New York City street gangs that rages from Coney Island to the Bronx. The warriors are mistakenly fingered for the killing of a gang leader. Soon, they have every gang in the city out to get revenge, and they must make their way across the city to their own turf. Came out February 9, 1979. The director is Walter Hill. And it has some very uh, unique and interesting music that you sampled heavily for your album. 
Uh, the budget was $360,000, so fairly cheap, but uh, I think it did fairly well in the, um, not necessarily in the box office, but in the, what do we call it? The cult classic kind of uh, venue. You know, like it's a popular film. It has a draw to it, but I believe it was actually pulled from theaters a little bit early because there were there was gang violence related to the to the viewings. So Robert, I'm going to go to you initially for your take on what uh, the Google description and any comments you have to open up and then we'll go to Mike. Well, yeah, just speaking to the popularity of the franchise, uh, even Rockstar, makers of the Grand Theft Auto series, made a, a game about this. Supposedly, it's pretty good. I mean, I'd imagine it's like a 3D beat-em-up, but you know, they can make a decent game. So, um, The main issue I have with the description is also one of the main reasons I had a problem with this film, is that they call it a mystery? What was what was a mystery in this movie? Everything was 100% straightforward. There was no mystery at all. There were no question marks. Even the only question mark, the only question mark I had that was even slightly interesting was why did that guy kill that guy in the beginning? Why did the guy, leader of the rogues, kill Cyrus? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, why? And he just likes take- doing stuff like that. No reason. And that's that's the reveal at the very end. No, not the, just, that's not I, the point of the movie. I just the like point of the stuff. movie is the tale of this epic forced march that these guys have to, to go through. But it's not a mystery, is it? No, there's I, no mystery about it. I think, I mean, generally, you don't want to give the game away completely in a in a description. Maybe why they shied away from describing it accurately. Well, I mean, that's a fairly accurate description. I'll interject that, that the categorization and oftentimes the Google description itself is usually fairly off base. So I wouldn't put a whole bunch yeah. of stock into that because it's some algorithm or some like lowly paid intern in the Philippines writing this stuff. Yeah, and surely a Google description isn't an indictment of any film. No, no, no. It's not an indictment of the film, but I'm, I'm I was asked to comment on the Google description. Mm. That's what Daniel asked me, and I did that. So get <laughs> off my back. All right. All right. He's 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 flying the literals colors tonight, Mike. Yeah. 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 Actually, no, if I was going to be one of these guys, I would have been on the Baseball Furies, even though they looked the coolest, but they fought like little bitches. They were a bunch of... Oh, they did all right. They got their asses They beat. took out Cowboy. They, all of them together took out one guy when they had baseball bats and the Warriors had yeah. nothing. Okay, so does that mean they're wimps or the Warriors are great? With the mean, way that they showed, the, with the, the choreography and the fight scenes in this movie. Double axe handle? Oh, a lot of double axe handles. Some Star Trek shit, eh? A lot, of, yeah, some serious Star Trek, Kirk Lee, Lizard uh, Man, monster type. Well, this fight was scene. made forty years, uh, I, forty years I, before John Wick. So, hey, when Wu Ping was not a thing, or if he was, he was in Hong Kong. He wasn't over here. You know, it's like it's even with um with Fox going into the train. Somebody comment on the on that that it, it's kind of cut, you know, sloppily or not sloppily. But my, the thing is, all you need to do is convey the story visually. You know. So they fight. I mean, the choreography is not terrible. There's some pretty decent action in that, considering that it had the three, like a million dollar budget by today's standards, and it was made in 1979. It's yeah, and I'll add that impressive, the, impressive action. The editing was actually done uh, in a very um, expedited manner. They had three different studio rooms working on editing this because they were in a race mm-hmm. with a similar film called The Wanderers that came out in July, and they were trying to to come out uh, release this film with enough gap ahead yeah. of time. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I hate the wonders. I yeah. will say that for we'll this, budget, <laughs> this movie does look pretty good, and I especially enjoyed the little vignettes where they would cut away to 
like the um i don't know the sunglass wearing boss guy and the um radio speaker lady i thought that that, that those scenes were well lit and really kind of cool when they when they cut away to that stuff okay for, for 92 minutes of film i think they create a very uh, rich world they do a lot of very efficient world building they the plot moves very efficiently um, it's almost, I mean, I would put it in the sci-fi category in a way. It feels almost apocalyptic. Yeah, I could see that. It's, you know, it, it, like, it felt like a, a New York that did not exist. It was like yeah. an alternate world. Well, so I guess the book and then the original script was, you know, Puerto Ricans and black gangs and, and more of a racial thing. And they just, the studio was like, you can't do that. But we wouldn't have, without the limitations from the studio, we wouldn't have had the, the costume and character design that we ended up getting. The mimes so, versus so, the baseball theories and the yeah oh I think that's incredible the clowns honestly or whatever those guys I, people were. that don't like that I, I don't understand I don't understand how you could not enjoy that it doesn't even make any sense to me oh no I loved it I loved it how ridiculous it was the idea that you're a tough street gang and you're gonna put on like mime makeup and you're gonna all dress the same and be like we're tough guys you can't yeah. beat us up well that it's like fantastic. I, I did a bit of like musical theater and stuff when I was younger um, and, you know, a bit faggier. Uh, and it's like you see them moving and I'm like, those guys are all off of Broadway. Or you can just tell. And then once you see it, you can't really unsee it the way they move their bodies and yeah. jump over no, things. They're, 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 they're planting at all times. Um, so, yeah, there's like considering that it's supposed to be sort of hyper masculine. It is kind of funny. Um, but I mean, there's nothing there's nothing inherently like a feminine in in like having control of your body, you know, as a man anyway. Right. So I wouldn't even say that's right. But they're playing like street toughs and they're clearly like West side story dancer guys. Yeah. yeah. I'm not against it. I just but thought they it, were like, in shape fun, and I did world. Yeah. I actually think yeah, that so was it's kind of hard to unsee when they jump over the, um, a couple of the, the subway, uh, turnstiles rails and stuff when they like, do they kick their legs out and things like that. But like, again, I don't know if that's like, I mean, I've been told that's not masculine, but it isn't, I don't think a feminine necessarily. I don't think it demeans the man to be able to like jump over things and keep his footing. I think it's intentional. And, and it's because w- I was reading a little bit of the background on this and the, the novel came out or the book came out in response to the West Side Story. He was like, well, I want to yeah. have something that's more like gritty and real. And so it makes sense to me that the movie would adopt some of the same mannerisms, the same like kind of, uh, and you've got actors and you can kind of tell that they're Broadway stage types. But then yeah. it's this grittier, but almost more comical or comic-y, comic comic book style, where yeah. it's almost surreal, right? Like you were saying, sci-fi. And I think there's a director's cut of this that came out about uh, 14, 15 oh, did years you, ago. Did you get the theatrical release to watch? Yeah, I got theatrical. Um, I yeah, I, I like that one a little bit better. Yeah, the, the, the director's cut adds some comic book shots and kind of... Um, uses that as, as part of a smooth out some of the rougher editorial, like the rougher pieces of editing. But honestly, I think it wasn't needed. Okay. Yeah. I, I think I'd be actually interested in watching it because I got the vibe from this, especially with the costumes and the ridiculousness of them, that this wasn't like a realism type thing. It was more of yeah. a story, you know, like a play acting kind of a thing. And the bla- baseball furies, they were ridiculous looking. And I, I guess Marilyn Manson actually got one of his like makeup uh, ideas mm, okay. from this movie. That makes sense. Yeah, I can see. Uh, that. Yeah, no, like the new one isn't like he he makes a couple changes, but it's not like he makes like puts Greedo shooting first or puts a Jabba scene out of <laughs> out of the blue in there or anything. It ruins 
ruins the whole ruins the whole thing. Yeah, like it, it, it's it's almost like a, it's like a lateral move. So you can I like I like the I don't know the the small changes in the theatrical. Like I prefer that, but like it's nothing's really lost. And and like you said, there's like a real it adding comic book panels to it, and then like phasing in and out of the comic book panel to create the scene uh, from a still shot. Um, really works towards the what you're talking about with the uh with the surreal sort of quality to it or the comic book quality right and and to robert's point the cinematography on this i think was was really well done like it was very stylized and well lit and um i guess you know they shot most of it at night and that initial scene where cleon is like telling the warriors like hey we're gonna go to this meeting in the bronx and uh it's a truce and we're gonna all these gangs are coming together you're gonna be a representative that they originally shot a daytime version of that. And I guess that was in the um, 2005 um, director's cut, but cut it because 95% of the film is at night. And so they reshot that entire thing and interjected the scenes where Cleon is like talking to each individual and then they like vignette away for a moment and then come back. And that kind of sets the scene. Are you, are you, are you talking about um, Cleon talking to the warriors? Yeah. The very, like, here's the lineup like the, but they didn't, they didn't do the crowd, the proper crowd scene. That was all at night. They never shot that in the daytime, did they? Right. What I'm talking about is, is when Cleon tells each individual warrior why they've been selected to be. Yeah, I put that in the in the third part of that album. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it's actually not even in the uh, the version of the movie that I watched. No, I found like like behind our uh, cutting room stuff. Right. And on, did you know who stuff. you know whose voice that was? Who Cleon? No, Orson Welles. Uh, where he was talking about like who are the warriors, and then he says, you know, like. The music man or whatever well no that that's oh, okay that's the one that's the uh that's the guy that robert likes with the sunglasses the the badass um they're like the rock martial arts dudes right the, the grips the gramercy rips yes the riffs yeah cleon uh not cleon sorry um cyrus no cyrus's underling guy yeah cyrus oh yeah we don't even two. i don't think we know his name right yeah we don't know his name but cyrus was the king or the the warlord of the gramercy riffs the biggest and strongest gang of the gangs that weren't the police I was just going to interrupt you and say that. Thank God I waited. Right. And actually, yeah, no, that's um, so I thought you guys might enjoy that because like that that's discussed uh, ad nauseum kind of in the film. Right. Because like the cops are looking for any gang and they have the manpower to attack any gang they see. Right. Right. And that was you know what one I mean? of like, Cyrus's points in the beginning to come together. Yeah. That they'd because, actually like, be able to outnumber the cops. But um, yeah. And actually some of the early like movie posters. Uh, had to be taken down because they pointed this out that there were 20,000 police, but 80,000 gang members. Yeah. And people were worried about that, like being disseminated. As they out. should be. Because it's like, uh, you know, that Larkin Rose video, the tiny dot, where it shows like how many people are the enforcers, the politicians and their enforcers compared to how many people there are as citizens or, you know, the yeah, they're, they're the, the, uh, the 1%. Right, exactly. And so, but, but, it's interesting in the in the movie because Cyrus has a point in that if they did band together, then they could overpower the police. The police were the biggest, yeah. baddest gang, and, and they had like a basically a federal backstop, right? Like the National Guard could come in or whatever. But it was it was Cyrus's plan to have a truce amongst their own gangs, take over different areas, you know, additional turf, not worry about their little micro turfs not you know the little segregated like secessionist style which is actually my uh, end state goal for uh an anarchist society but <laughs> or a decentralized one at yes, least as decentralized as possible all the way down to the individual but the um the, the thing that cyrus said was then we can start taxing 
Yeah, I knew you guys would get hung up on that. So what we're discussing is the foundation of an empire, right? Right, and and this was actually a Greek uh, a, a Greek story, right? Uh, yeah, but not the not the gang warfare part. Just I mean, they were they were surrounded on all sides by enemy factions. But it's not like somebody was trying to unite them in force within all. Like each faction was trying to dominate, but there was no Cyrus figure like in that that story. They were just like completely behind enemy lines and had to march back a thousand miles. Okay, right. So that was the that was just their their journey. That's the great yeah. part. But this first so part that's like is the theme. The first part is them trying to set up their own territorial government and competing yes. with the existing territorial government. And so it's like the police are just another gang. Yes. When and they they uh have claimed the entirety of New York and Cyrus is like, "No, we should uh, revolt against that uh, that system, that monopoly on violence, and create a new republic. And institute our own monopoly of violence. Well, um, I mean, yeah, but at least uh, it's representative, right? You can't really argue with somebody wanting to band together with other people to overthrow whatever oppressive forces, you know, may, uh, deciding their destiny for them. So long as they don't then become that oppressive force for others. Well, they will eventually, but uh, maybe not for they a couple of generations. But yeah, maybe. I mean, it took 1776 to 1861, was it? That was pretty close. It's like almost 100 years. No. Two generations? No. They wrote the Constitution, which grants them the right to tax right away. Yeah, but it's, uh, you know, representative or something like that. So, <laughs> well, I mean, okay, we can do the purity spiral I, thing, I but like, care. how far can you get in a conversation if you're like, I mean, we're not. Like, okay. there isn't a lot of room to move, right? All because right. All right, you Mike, can I'm going to write myself a piece of paper that grants me the right to tax you. And then mm. once every four years, I'll let you vote on whether we tax you 50% or 60%. Okay, so it, I, authority is derived from violence, though. So Absolutely. you can be an individual, well, and that's totally awesome. But at some point, somebody's going to get together with three or four people and come demand your uh, subservience. So you need to end up... You need to uh, when you take them out. With, allow yourself to other. Yeah, I mean, ideally, the, there's a fire. There's firearms now, so they're getting better every day. Um, so the individual can certainly uh, exercise a great deal of sovereignty. But um, generally, your your life is defined. Your destiny is defined by what you allow yourself to. Right? What kind of collective? Um, the collective of the family unit, your community, your city, whatever. Uh, at some point, you need to be able to collectively collectively defend because there's probably somebody out there forming an empire of useful idiots, and they and they probably right like they don't necessarily right, but, have the same ideals as you. But what the incentive same. would they have of taking us over if we don't have a political structure to to well historically to take your shit? But they like, always Vikings, take over Vikings the political mechanism. The women and stuff, right? Well, what is the, what is the first thing when the United States invaded Afghanistan? They took over the political system and then they installed like their own puppet. Yeah, and then the American, the corporations that are sort of backed by the American government go in and start taking all the resources. Like, there's a trillion dollars worth of rare earth metals in Afghanistan. And the military was ready to invade right. in 28 right. days. So they were right. probably planning that for 10 years. And if and if the people of Afghanistan didn't recognize Mosul as their, I got as Mosul, the capital of Afghanistan, I don't know. Certainly they can rebel. Then they could fight back. Yes, but, but they, they have to do so collectively. If they see it as point. legitimate. If they see that invasion as legitimate, then they're far more likely to be like, oh, okay. Well, let's take it well, back. Exactly. Let's That's take fine. It back to but but my then. point is simply that if the gangs are banding together to get rid of the cops and then they form their own uh, more responsible or accountable government within that system, or or they have rules that they actually sit down and agree to, that is a, a, a moral improvement than 
simply the mandate coming down from somebody they didn't from a system they didn't participate in and violence is the only authority in that system so the government is the monopoly on violence and we want to decentralize that as much as possible so if we can get that down to the individual and the family awesome but generally like even you know if you've got a bunch of sort of farms or individuals they're going to have to collectively defend because somebody's always able to manifest some urukai and you know get an army together and march yeah but they just promised them like rape and pillaging as a reward half the time you know it never works out in the long run i mean we've been fighting in afghanistan for how long vietnam i'm not talking about invading afghanistan i'm talking about overthrowing the new york police in within the confines of this movie and if and if if right and if all the gang members constantly fought back against the police constantly and it was actually an act of war at an individual level, you mean? Like a, with, you yeah, know, if, if nobody recognized the cops as a legitimate... If everybody saw the cops as a gang... That's exactly what he was trying to do, though. Like they saw the was unite them against the police. So they were... He was just saying, don't fight each other. We'll maintain a status quo, and we'll decide on what the, uh, the rules for our zones are going to be, and we're not going to invade each other's territory anymore, right? I mean, a lot of this movie is about, uh, like, territorial rights and uh, sort of guest rights, you know? So when they get to the orphans, it's like they're like, you know, uh, we're just we're just coming through. And by virtue of them showing a strong force and saying, like, look, we don't want to fight, but we will fight you if you try to fight us. The orphans back down. They didn't back down, but they sort of permitted them to march through. Right. And then right. a bit of a falling out. Yeah. And that that was the uh, Jordan Peterson, you know, like having the capacity to be violent, but restraining yourself. And that's yeah. And so, like, I mean, I understand Robert's point, but like. Um, it's very difficult to stop people from like the, so when Alexander showed up to say like, whatever, Afghanistan or India, there was a bunch of Kings fighting amongst themselves. So he was able to conquer them. Now that may not be morally correct conquering them, but if they had not been fighting amongst each other, they would have been able to defend themselves against the Macedonians. But in order to have that collective defense, the larger the construct of, uh, of a society, the stronger the narrative needs to be. And, the the bureaucracy and it's very unfortunate so right, like, it's uh, the bureaucracy that pro- provides the incentive for the invasion without the tax structure i'm not we all agree that invading other other countries is wrong i'm talking about defending no, no, yourself. No, i'm not talking about right or wrong no. i'm talking about a, 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 an incentive like if you're gonna go and invade someplace but you know not only is every single man woman and child gonna fight you tooth and nail yes. the entire time and never gonna give you a dime then but you're talking about a paradigm right like a, a way of thinking. Right. But those people are already have that slave mentality. They're like, well, this guy's going to protect us. And so I'm going to give him 30% of what I make and blah, blah, blah. Well, I wouldn't call it a slave mentality. They certainly were inspired by him to band together, whereas they weren't able to do that before. So for whatever reason, uh, his story was better than the ones that were telling themselves, which was to, you know, fight your next door neighbor. So like, yeah, no, it isn't, it isn't much of an improvement, but it is better than, um, trying to take the cops on by yourself so it's like this because if like compared to what incremental situation is what well if saying. the if that mongol group you know the what are they called with they look like mongols uh if they decided to declare war in or, or in, there's mongols in the movie yeah yeah in the opening sequence okay yeah. the mimes the mime that? one if the mimes declared independence yeah. and refused to pay their taxes and refused to adhere to the laws that the uh you know new york city had decided for them uh the the police would be able to concentrate their entire force on the single uh rebellion well yeah so you're this, just is defeat, about, this is defeat in detail right right you're talking about people who are quote-unquote tax cheats today 
You, sure, you but just I got mean, like a few people here and there that don't it's pay. A bit, it's a bit more than taxes, though. They're not like dumping tea right, but, in the in the river. They're um, they're enacting violence on their on their fellow citizens and or protecting themselves through violence because it seems to be like a fairly un unkempt or un uncivilized landscape, right? Because like the reason you join a gang is to protect you from being hurt by other gangs. I think is the point. Yeah, or I mean, that's why you join gangs, right? To belong to something that can protect them and possibly um, give them access to opportunities. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, that may not be right, but of a prison. Yeah, there's a huge yeah, or or society. To... Same thing. Right? Yeah. But yeah, there's a huge incentive to collect up into some sort of a group that is promising protection because there is defense in numbers. Right. And there's also yeah, all so those... this is the thing, right? It's like, how do you overthrow an empire? Well, you have to, you need another empire. At least, at least the uh, narrative of an empire or the inspiration of an empire. Like you, as libertarians, um, you have the non-aggression principle, right? Which is a great philosophy. And that transcends all the different sort of inner working. One guy's a family man. Another guy's a carpenter. You know, you know, uh, fat, skinny, short, tall, right? Um, you know, 98% male. As far as libertarian demographics go, but still, uh, you have philosophies, which is acts as a placeholder for, uh, you know, the state or religious narrative. So you guys, you both agree on something despite, right? You agree on your moral compass, and that requires people to talk to each other and form a collective story. So like there's this, I don't know, narrative is a, is a way of expressing um, our, this sort of overwhelming uh, individual experience. Um, in a way that can be interpreted by other people, right? Certainly. Yeah, so that's like the nature of art. So politics is art, and it's very unfortunate how quickly corrupt it gets. But Well, that's the nature of it, though. Yeah, but it's like, okay, so if gang A, B, and C can all agree on the level of taxation that will go to the next tier up, that is an improvement on their position, whether it's you know objectively good or bad, than not being able to negotiate with your masters. I would guess that if if everybody's agreeing to some contract, but that it's an improvement. But if it's an if it's a contract that involves coercion and violence, then violence is the only authority that ultimately backs these things up. So you need to be able to defend yourself um, to be able to form goodwill between parties and and free exchange and voluntary voluntary exchange, right? So we want to strive towards that, right? But then what do you do when somebody just disobeys that principle? You have to defend yourself. This is like why the Second Amendment's maybe more important than the first, right? Yeah, yeah. Because like you need to be able to like defend yourself. Pretty much meaningless. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. So we we basically sort of talked about the theoretical thing that Cyrus was trying to bring into fruition, right? He was trying to have this stand down truce between the gangs from fighting each other, so they would be able to band together and outnumber the greater oppressor and potentially improve their situation incrementally. Though, yeah. to Robert's point, they're just going to basically impose their own government over the territory, but it might be a, a, like a minor improvement, at least for themselves, and who knows what would happen with the people who are affected by, you know, on the bottom rung. For instance, the orphans who weren't even invited to this meeting because they weren't even recognized as really a gang. So as far as representation goes, the orphans didn't have any. But um, back to your talking about you know the, the different turfs and the warriors going through their turf and showing their colors and showing that they were willing to fight but were going to hold back so that they could be respected and permitted to pass but not so fast because mercy 
comes down and says to them, why are you guys being such pussies? Why are you going to let these guys walk all over you? And so it's this woman stirring up trouble. Now, what I understand with her character, and maybe it's fleshed out a little bit more in the comic, uh, the director's cut with the comic book interludes. What no. was her story? Because she's first there fucking shit up, causing a problem where there wasn't one. Like the problem was resolved. And then she basically kicks the hornet's nest. And then moments later, Wait, have she, you... she's walking alone okay, and then gets abducted by the warriors. And then later well, what the on, fuck do you think she wants then? Well, I don't know. <laughs> wanted to be abducted like she wanted to get out of her neighborhood which she discusses later i think this is actually one of my favorite female characters even if she isn't um i don't know it's not like a very wonderful light that they present this character but i think the actress pulls it off and the character has depth i think that she's wants more so she's looking for a strong male which is ultimately what she seeks out and finds so she basically just follows swan home yeah i would say that she's by far the most interesting character in the entire film just because she seems to have something actually going on. Yeah. Like, so she, you know, I should have smacked you the moment you open your mouth and she says, well, why didn't you? And why aren't you defending this territory? You know what I mean? Because like the, the consequences of not defending the, the territory is that the, the rape and pillaging. Right. So wait, so you guys call her an interesting character. I call her an incoherent character because what she does doesn't make any sense to me, but maybe, maybe you guys can make it make sense. She's you, have you interacted She's with a women a lot? Pandora's box, Daniel. Come on, you never know what a woman's going to do or say. Okay. Well, so her motive—I think her motivations were simply um, seeking out uh, a, a better mate or a uh, an adequate mate, okay. which didn't exist in her neighborhood because they they were all weak. All right, so, so she wanted a um, better chance for breeding, I guess. It's you know at a biological level, and then that manifests as it's hypergamy. Uh, yeah, it makes sense. It's always happening. So so basically, your theory here is that she, up. she's hanging out with these betas, the orphans, and she's a prostitute. She's not. She, she objected she soundly did, to that. She did object to it, but then... No, she, is, she doesn't sell herself. She gives herself to everyone, which is why Swan criticized her. Okay. Well, in the... Uh, you know, in, on Amazon Prime, you can watch... or It's not on Prime, but I think it's on Stars or whatever, but you can see the X-ray stuff. So I actually walk, read through that. Uh, last night after I watched the movie, and it says that she's actually a prostitute. And I don't know if that's maybe fleshed oh. out in the game that Robert was referencing earlier, the Rockstar game. But well, I mean, um, I don't, I don't know. If Prime's an authority, <laughs> but I guess, I guess it's in the name. What we're saying here oh. is that she's unhappy with her group that she's hanging out with. So in order to test these interlopers who are going to try to walk through she basically picks a fight with them to just see how tough they are and once they demonstrate their toughness then she wants to tag along with them is what you're saying like she's found yeah I, I would if i was like somewhere between migtow and pickup artists i think that this particular scene would be very good um uh like a learning scene for young men trying to understand why uh they're getting like their heads spun around every time they interact with a girl okay now the first person to interact with her is um, Ajax, right? Like when yeah, yeah, he's um, he, Ajax, the um, original toxic male. Yeah, he he's a raper. He likes rape, uh, which actually gets him. Oh, he likes it rough. Yeah, we well, gets him in trouble a little bit later. <laughs> yeah, he seemed he seemed to be a rapist. He seemed a bit rapey. Yeah, um, which you I, keep those guys around though because they're tough, right? And not too bright. <laughs> yeah, he was he was their muscle. But uh, so so his he interacts with her and like is about to rape her and then. They decide not to. Well, he's not about to rape her. He's just enjoying her struggling and him dominating her in a kind of a weird sexual way. Like he's enjoying like <laughs> holding her. Um, 
yeah, like he, I, I'm, I'm sure that's the reason that they vote him out of being in control, right? It's Which is not an interesting... rape. It's dominance and control in a sexual way. <laughs> well, it's assault. This is pretty much the definition without the penetration, right? Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. So he wasn't like he he didn't get to that stage of it, and I don't think I think that he gets like he's probably in a feedback loop at that point where that's kind of just what he's into <laughs> now, to an extent. But so so was he did. He looked very. He, he looks so sad, right? When Swan's like, "Okay, let her go now," and he's like, "What? Fuck you, buddy." So Fine. was was her journey? Because after that, then she's running around with Fox, and then Fox gets taken down by the uh, the cop and thrown in front of a train and dies. And they don't seem to really dwell on that. He's just gone all of a sudden. Um, okay, the you want to hear the paratext, the the meta of this? Yeah, yeah, explain this. Okay, the director wasn't getting what he wanted out of the actor. Fox was supposed to be Mercy's love interest. They were supposed to get together. Um, and then at some point, he just wasn't, the director wasn't liking what Fox was producing, so he fired him, and they wrote him out. Oh, I see. The guy that plays Fox didn't even show up to that that scene. That's a stunt double. Okay. All right. Getting dropped by the yeah. cop in front of the in front of the train. Okay. Because mm. it, it's like they just left it. Like all of a sudden, Fox is just he's out. That's it. Yeah. And then yeah, I think it works though. It, it works really well because like it just it ups the stakes. People getting killed and arrested kind of ups the stakes. They don't just all get out. You know. Okay. All sort right. of it, it enforces that the that you know that the bad guy the the people opposing them are out for blood. Now, who is the guy who um, he went to the that apartment with all the women, the Lizzie's. It was the black guy, the, the real young guy, and then another guy. The sirens. Yeah, the sirens. Yeah. Uh, Cochise, the, the the one with like uh, sort of a half a pseudo Indian headdress or a Native American Indian headdress. Uh, not that guy, but the third guy, the the sort of um, John Belushi, the Afro guy. No, the John Belushi type guy. Uh, uh, right shit, I forget his name. It's not real. the Afro guy, um, and it's not the oh, uh, Cochise, the third guy. You mean Merman? Is his name Merman? Uh, Rembrandt. Not Rembrandt. Rembrandt's Vermin was the yeah. Vermin's the third one. It's Cochise, Rembrandt, the art, and the uh, Vermin. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Vermin. So Vermin was actually, from what I read, he was actually he was um, less involved in the movie. His his lines mm-hmm. were less, and his script was less. But then he played up that scene with the women in the apartment and actually earned himself more screen time. That might be related to Fox being written out, right? Yeah, I think like this is very. Um... No holds bars kind of filming very gorilla. Like, I mean, the, the million dollars isn't a lot of money. That's the inflation calculator. Um, million bucks filming on the streets of New York, not necessarily going for permits. You know, they hired all no names. Nobody there had done anything really, right? And uh, they were all working really hard towards the project that they wanted to put out, right? That's another reason I really like this movie is because it really it represents a different time in filmmaking um, where artists would get together and grind out something through a lot of hard work. And they were sometimes rewarded for that effort, you know, and they produced something of value. Um, and so, you know, to your point of, but he basically got promoted for his acting in the middle of the movie. Right. And got, got some more scene, more scene time. more yeah, screen buddy, time. And, and another guy got fired. Right. So there you go. There's this, that sounds like a libertarian wet dream to me. Right. Cause Vermin was actually supposed to die in that apartment with the women, with the sirens. Oh, I see. We're going to get jabbed here. We're going to get jabbed. Yeah, I don't know if you can say that anymore. Uh, well, as much as you can say faggot three times in a movie right now, probably not. Yeah, I know Robert and I, we both recently watched the Chappelle show uh, or the, the latest Chappelle episode, which or special, which has special out- outraged, outraged the, the left left wing lynch mob. And uh, and to to me, it's it's in contrast to what we have on offer today. It's refreshing, but it 
it doesn't hold a candle to anything Richard Pryor did or any no, or know, Eddie, Murphy. Eddie Murphy, right? Raw or delirious. It's nothing like that. But because he, like, I mean, so Bill Cosby had clean shit. It was better. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it was cutting and, you know, right. But, but we're so starved for it now that, and, and I do yeah. love Dave Chappelle. I do. Um, but yeah, he's kind of sold out though. Right. Like, like he's pretty tame. Right. Right. Compared but he, to Chappelle show. Oh yeah. Yeah. Compared though. to who he was before. I feel like they cloned him and, well, he's getting they older. They got a gun I mean, to somebody's head, you know what I mean? Like he's been living the good life. He's wealthy now. I mean, you know, I do like. Yeah, the, maybe you just you get into the echo chamber, and then I mean, as you get older, you lose a little bit of that piss and vinegar. So I do like that he called that out. He called out the outrage people, though, which was really good. Yeah. Um, but but he yeah. he mentioned that even during the Chappelle show, he had to go to the compliance office or whatever they're called um, for the word faggot. Like I guess you couldn't say that on TV back in two thousand four, two thousand five uh and yes you do i mean again this is privatizing censorship right self self-policing uh broadcast and they, they do it so that the government won't come in and do it but it's also a way to for these companies to i don't know this sort of weird like neoliberal capitalism where where uh ideology becomes the product you're selling right wasn't this so similar like to, coke, to what the coke NPC? is lbgt and if you don't if you don't drink coke you hate gay people kind of thing right Oh, all the all the virtue signaling, yeah. It it's, yeah, it seems yeah, it's, similar to the MPAA and giving films ratings. Like uh, Robert, we did the Aviator yeah. a while back, and uh, Howard Hughes was like, "Hey, if you compare the necklines or the you know the cleavage on this movie, this movie, and this movie, then you have to give mine the same rating because it's actually technically less or whatever." Because they want well, to no, but we're talking about bureaucracy, rating. which is just a way to dominate smaller factions, right? It's just like. Regulation is just a way for like the bigger companies to dominate the smaller ones, right? Correct. I mean, it's like Disney is going to be able to sue you for intellectual property rights violation way be- way more than you're going to be able to sue them. Absolutely. And it's by it's by virtue of the government only just doing enough to have the laws in place, and then the courts, you know, are just too expensive. So it's like like I said, it's just a way of privatizing privatizing all the oppressive functions of government. It's pretty smart. The system that we've con- con- uh, conjured, cooked up. It looks like I blended you into silence. Should we talk about the movie or do we have to? I mean, it's okay. <laughs> no, it's actually a great film. Like it's, it's not a great, oh, it's a fantastic film. film. Oh, it's really great. Um, what's what interesting about it? What else did the director go on to do? Uh, he did forty-eight hours. Another forty-eight hours. Um, what else has he done? He's done a few things. He's not like okay. um, it's not like a prestigious career, but it looks like he likes doing what he's doing. And a guy that's made you know twenty films, you know, and they're not all a bunch of big hits and stuff. I think that's you know. I I got a soft spot for that more than the Spielbergs, to be no, honest. That's fine. Okay. Um. So I wrote down here, like, so so basically, uh, Cyrus is trying to create an empire, right? And so I wrote down here, the consolidation of power comes at the vulnerability of hijacking the narrative, because in order to construct all these people together, um, it makes it vulnerable to being hijacked by like whatever media force is in place, right? So if you if you use uh, um, what's his name? What's the rogues guy's name? The bad guy. guy. The bad guy? Crazy yeah. guy? Luther. Yeah, the uh, Sean Luther, yeah. Luther, Luther hijacks guy. the narrative. And it's very easy because the people involved are are starstruck. They're in a they're in a state of sort of hypnosis and from the magic that Cyrus has enacted on the group, right? Through this ritual of of speaking. Right. We talk about this all the time with like, you know, like the Hitlerian types of, you know, like always oh, a great public speaker, right? It's like, well, yeah, sure. you got the charisma, the, the yeah. appearance of competence. Yeah. got the ideas yeah and you don't you don't have to be perfect then you just have to sell it right and so because everything's heightened all you have to do is say hey the warriors did it and everyone's like okay let's go beat the shit out of those guys and kill them because they're angry it's like you know 
Yeah, I mean, this is this is the nature of politics. This is the nature of media. It's like two minutes of hate, you know. Certainly. So it's like it's a reflection of the world we live in. I would agree. Mm-hmm. That's why it's decently competent art. No, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I really like it, and it does. It represents a you know older kind of filmmaking with a lot of negative space and um, slower movement and stuff. So there's less story going on, a whole lot of running. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the action is the story, right? And like I said, it's efficient. It's 92 minutes long. It felt longer to me, but um, I've also I've I've been in New York a couple of times and ridden the subway a fair amount when I was there, and so I actually had a uh, a spatial awareness of where they were traveling mm-hmm. through, and I think that helped in understanding what was going on. I think if you had never been there and never ridden on the subways, uh, you would be a little bit lost in what's going on. Um, well, they did a it's pretty good shot at the beginning to show you on the uh, on the subway map the distance that they're covering, right? That's kind of part of the opening sequence. Right, right, and they even kind of mentioned smart. how it's kind of confusing. Yeah, and they they set up they set up sort of one idea, one premise, but that's the false premise, right? You think that like, oh, okay, now I'm listening to Cyrus, now what's happening? Oh my God, he's shot. Okay, so that that premise is completely thrown out, and now the warriors need to get back to Coney Island, right? And just and run. They're unarmed, right? and and they don't know if there's still a truce or not. Yeah, I think it's a great premise for a film. Works for me anyway. I'll agree. And and their first gang that they encounter is the skinhead types. Which I thought, yeah, the multiracial skinheads. Yeah, I thought that was interesting because there's a bunch of black. Well, they didn't want it to be racial, right? So they just made sure that the warriors were like kind of like a mosaic of culture, and then the skinheads were also like a homogenous version of that. Right. Yeah, but some of the other gangs were like very, very clearly like a specific type of people, like a group, right? Yeah, but because the costumes sell it as not being racial, so you can't say that like the baseball furies were all white guys, but they were. Um, well, it's Socrates, was it Socrates or Aristotle. It talked about the essence of something, right? So, like the essence of of the baseball furies was not their race; it was their baseball uniforms. Right. That's the that uniform made them, you know, made them a collective, not not their blue eyes or you know. Right now, what did you guys? Think? That makes sense. Back to the uh, keep going back to the orphans for whatever reason, but after Mercy basically instigated there to be a problem where there wasn't one. Then the orphans demanded that the warriors take their colors off because she wanted a vest. And yeah. then the merc- so they're kowtowing. They're kowtowing to the members of their society that cannot defend themselves. Right. So, but but I like that the warriors were like, "Fuck you!" You like, we're not doing that. Oh, that's one of the best fucking lines I think in movie history, where he just waits a minute and then he just says, "Fuck you." It's so simple and it's like so defiant. Like, no, I'm not. This end of conversation. I tried being nice, like. We're going to do this either way. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I like that a lot, actually. Yeah, no, that's definitely a strong, strong line. I well, really it's, yeah, it's, it's peace through strength, right? And the threat of violence. Right. And and the, the demand was almost like um, the demand. <laughs> this is going to be a weird tangent, but the World War II demand for Japan to surrender and give up their emperor and all those things, like basically this unconditional surrender that was demanded and it was going to be unacceptable to japan and it basically yeah well, set, it was. Up, set up the premise that then okay now we can drop these bombs because they said no to this impossible to accept demand and that's almost what the um the orphans did to the warriors because they were like well you, we want you to remove your colors and then you can pass but the warriors are like no fuck you like that's not an acceptable thing that besmirches our honor and we're not going to do that well it was it, i think it wasn't acceptable because they had already reached terms and then those terms were changed by some exterior force that you know it's like it's if we count out of that she hmm? altered the deal she altered the deal and <laughs> well and when she you, holds you, the guy's balls in her head 
Yeah, and so like when you okay, so you renegotiate and you acquiesce, you couch out of them, and then they just change it again. At, at you know, at what point? Yeah, you show you're a bitch, and they're gonna treat you like one. Yeah, exactly. So right. Well, I think I think that the Warriors would not have accepted those terms, even if those were the outright terms, like initially. I think it would have been unacceptable to them. Yeah, but they they allowed they allowed the orphans the uh, privilege of a formal negotiation personal point of privilege um, yeah they asked they they allowed them they didn't humiliate them they allowed them to be prideful in the negotiation even though team a is going to do what team a needs to do you know team b can't do anything about it but they're still going to formally acknowledge their uh property rights even though they're walking through either way so i think that's actually um it's yeah it's kind of one of my favorite scenes in the film right it says a lot in a very, very short period of time now, of course, the most iconic scene is when Luther, for whatever reason, ends up in Coney Island with his gang. We tracked him down. They knew where they were from. Um, and at that point, you you need to silence the people that know what happened, right? Kind of thing. You don't like you don't want to leave the loose end, right? So they had to suicide them. Yeah, it was a very interesting um, interplay. The entire thing where Cyrus, who is basically this Joker esque loose cannon who just wants to watch the world burn. And just does something chaotic for the fun of doing something chaotic, then yeah. blames the warriors just on a on a lark, like well, on a the gym. one guy saw him, right? Yeah, Fox so, Fox yeah. saw him, so that was probably what got them in trouble. Right, was so, witnessing the crime, which can get you in trouble with with bad people. He may have inter- information that may lead the, to the arrest of uh, Luther. Yes, ex- well, that's exactly it, right? So, I mean, like if 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 they had been in that situation, they might have ended up dead in a jail cell, like by hanging themselves or something right right uh, all, yeah. all individually or rape with a plunger yeah uh, okay now, but, so yes they they needed to tie up loose ends that's why they tracked them down it's uh uh that that need sort of coalesced with the luther's agenda of wreaking havoc right and he was trying to close the loop on that but someone had come to the gramercy rifts to sp- to spill the dirt on luther right and that's why yeah. a climactic scene after luther does the Clink, clink, warriors, come yeah. out and play, yay. Which apparently was ad-libbed. Yeah, yeah, they needed to fill in the gap there and egg him on a bit. They needed something out of, what's his name? I, I forget. Vaughn, Vaughn something, he's, I think he's got a German name. Okay, yeah. From Luther, right? Yeah, yeah Luther. No, and so he, uh, he, he stepped up to the task. So so it does make sense that, that they do have this final confrontation and then the Gramercy Rift show up and they're like, well, we know who actually did it. And so we're going to kill him and his gang and let the warriors go. So it has a nice resolution at the end. Um, and I want to I want to float back on on the rape thing for a moment because uh, we go back oh, to uh, from Ajax, the obvious rapist. Yeah, Ajax. So yeah, he he displays this desire to rape several times, yeah. and then in the Central Park, he sees this woman on, at the bench, and apparently she's a cop, but you don't really know this until later. Yeah. But when he first interacts with her, she's like totally with it she's fine with yeah it feels a bit like entrapment to me well you find some honey pot sitting alone in the middle of the night on a park bench and she's like coming on to any guy that walks by yeah well yeah so seems a little suspicious to me like a spider and a fly well well, okay so i think that would have confused ajax since he's probably had a fair amount of sexual interactions with women that were him being fairly aggressive and getting probably positive results um, yeah, been punching the head probably about. Yeah, who knows? But my point is, there are some women that like um, uh, aggressive men uh, when everything has been signed and sealed, and we're committing to doing something. Once the yeah. once a sort of safe uh, arena has been established, 
some women enjoy it rough, right? Once everybody's signed their consent forms. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We know how, Once we know everyone's signed their consent, consent forms. Um, I don't want to generalize, but this has been uh, a trend <laughs> in my experience. So uh, that's just anecdotal. But my point is that uh, Ajax probably assumed things about that situation and acted based on his experience. I'm not, I'm not justifying it. I'm just saying that it, like, you probably shouldn't be in that position unless you want that outcome. Well, the thing that got me... Without victim blaming, and that does feel a lot like entrapment, even though he's obviously, like, out of line. Yes, well, the thing that got me is that had he not gone over that line of being overly aggressive, then it's... They would have arrested him anyway. Well, it... For what, though? Because she was... Well, she would have... Okay, so I think... Being one of the warriors. At one point, when they're on the train, the cops just walk up, and they're like, oh, shit, we gotta run. I think that she was setting up a trap. So she probably would have egged somebody on to the point of being kind of out of control and then just said no at some point. You know what I mean? I think, I mean, that's just what I'm theorizing because I'm not sure what the sting is otherwise. Okay, yeah, because it seemed to me like she was consenting and then he got overly aggressive. Okay, so essentially a cop was sitting on a bench attracting rapists with a vulnerable aesthetic, right? Right, yeah. but, but then... That's you know, like they were just, but then agreeing to it. Yeah, well... But well, then, but then also like that also renegotiating, you know, a couple times uh, after he gets aggressive to to ensure that they can. I mean, I'm not even sure why they don't just arrest them at that point. But I mean, it's a good way for him to go out, right? Because it writes his character out of the situation. Right. Yeah. Because because we do have this journey, and you're losing people along the way for various reasons, and and the sirens like pull a few of them off track, like off their journey, which is another like Greek thing, right? Because this is yeah. sort of the, a retelling or a mashup of several stories yeah. going on they're definitely sirens though right oh yeah for sure um but it's also like that horror movie thing which it really got me when swan like left left those two guys to go back and check on um ajax because so i was like you guys are disbanding and breaking apart when you're have more protection as a group yeah so this is actually i, I made a couple notes about this because there's like when ajax challenges swan there's an informal voting process which is a natural hierarchy forms. And so everybody does their own uh, internal calculations as to who should be in charge and who's dominant. And it's the two, there's sort of two alphas, right? There's like a Leonardo and a Raphael. There's a there's a guy that's maybe tougher than everybody else, but he's uncontrollable. And there's a guy that's almost, as, almost at the highest level of toughness that's also able to think critically and make decisions for everybody. And so they elect Swan without a form of voting process. So it's interesting that that happens. And it happens a couple times throughout the film, right? Like, but the methodology of the warriors, whatever their code is, is uh, a great deal of emphasis on individual choice, which I thought you guys would appreciate, to be honest. Uh, so they're like, Ajax, you shouldn't do this. This is retarded. And then he goes anyway. And then they're like, we kind of owe Ajax. We should go back for him. And Swan takes like one second to analyze the situation and says, okay, I'll go try to accomplish something else. Stick to the plan outside of that. I think that's very good leadership in a lot of ways, you know? Yeah. So they're, they're very individually driven and they decentralize and then come back together. I like what you're saying, but I think in the situation, you don't agree with the decision. The circumstances don't warrant it because they are in, they are now in acknowledged hostile territory. Well, who's the fascist here? Me or you? <laughs> I just say that the circumstances they were presented with would have made okay, it but okay. So these two individuals important. want to to do something on their own. Does Swan uh, conscript them 
like does he does he enact some sort of authority then to solve the problem and say no you're not you are not allowed to do that uh no i guess what i'm saying is that i can't imagine making the decision that they made well they had some sort of Given he's obviously so the reason you would keep somebody like ajax around is because he's probably very good at fighting which is like you seem to be tougher than the rest hmm. you know you keep a guy like that around in case you need somebody to use a flamethrower run up a beach or the molotov cocktail you know yeah yeah like the guy you know he gets it done right so he's probably saved their ass more than once outside of this film and then he he saved cowboy specifically right he saved my ass back there so they just had a, a sense of loyalty to him and bailing him out of his own bad choices. So okay, well I'll, I'll give you know. You that. I mean, we can't. The heart wants what the heart wants. I guess I don't know how to explain it, but yeah. I mean, I, I'd go back for you guys. You you are back for us. Thank you. Yeah. For that. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, we've had you on for a bunch of movies. Uh, collateral Super Troopers. No, Starship Troopers. I, I keep mixing those two. Starship up. Troopers. The real Super Troopers. That's right. Um, what else? Do you remember what else you've been on for? Um, Christmas Carol with Bill Murray. Yeah, Bill Murray. Yeah. Bill Murray's Christmas Carol. Whatever that one's called. Uh, yeah. Night Living Dead. I think that might have been. The, I might have yeah, just said the light. Night Living Dead might have been the first one I said because there's a lot of collectivism versus individualism in that one. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll have the whole list on the uh, on the show notes page, and we are actually getting a little bit long on this one, so we're gonna gonna need to start moving into uh, final summaries and reviews. We haven't even talked about your album very much, uh, but there is a fair amount of that discussion in the pre-show, which is available for Patreon supporters at lastnight.com/patreon. So if you want to hear Mike talk. Are, Okay, about sorry. his music specifically like uh, some of the story behind it um hit us up on the patreon and you'll get a piece of that well we will have a link to his uh his album uh on the show notes page as well at lastnighters.com slash 87 but robert why yeah, you could oh go ahead go ahead uh, you, you're kind of breaking up on my end so i keep interrupting you but it's not i'm not meant i'm not trying to interrupt you it sounds like you're quiet for like a like for like the 1.5 seconds well that <laughs> no i'm just i'm not trying to be rude See that's that's but, the thing um, that that uh, Robert knows full well that uh, it takes me a moment to process. I'm I'm using your Canadian terms here, so it's like very frustrating <laughs> to talk to me because it takes a little while for me to get going. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Um, no, if you want to talk about my album Ad Nauseum, I'd I'd happily do another three four hours. So okay, um, well, let's get yeah into no that. please listen to my music. I'm really proud of it. <laughs> I called it a masterpiece. Uh, and yeah yeah you, you know. So, so so let's get into that in our uh, what we call Kathleen Turner Overdrive, which is the uh, additional bonus content after we finish doing the the episode here. But uh, Robert, let's good. let's go to you for final summer interview. Unless you have any other tidbits that you want to talk about before we get into that. No, I thought that this was a very straightforward film, and so I kind of just took notes of what happened in the movie. I, I didn't have a whole lot of interesting things to discuss. I'm glad you guys really brought it tonight. Um, you've obviously thought about this film a lot more than I did and um, really got a lot of blood out of this stone <laughs> in my estimation. I didn't think that this thing was worthy of a whole lot of discussion, but here we are having discussed it for over an hour now. And um, yeah, I got a little bit more of an appreciation for it, for sure. I think Mike just turned me around just a little bit. I still don't think this is a great film. I It, it, it kind of lost interest in it, to be honest. Um, especially towards the end. I was just kind of waiting for it to end because I ne it never got, like the narrative weight was never there for me. It's like, okay, these guys need to get home. Well, they're gang members. I mean, how, you know, are they that much safer in Coney Island? I mean, I guess, but I don't know why some gang guys couldn't just show up to your front door and then kick the shit out of you there. I don't know, whatever. It, it works as a device, I suppose. But I, I kept wanting this to be more than it was, I guess. I, I can appreciate Mike's appreciation 
for the simplicity and the directness in the film. But I wanted it to be, you know, why did he really kill that guy? Was he, you know, is there something else going on? And then, oh, no, he just he just did it because he gets off on doing it. Uh, you can do it that way. And I, that's what that movie was, I guess. But I, I guess I just I wanted more. And I, I shouldn't have I should have known that it was going to be that because the whole movie was very simple. And that's all it was. So to have it have this, you know, be some kind of underlying mystery. Also, I don't know. Anyway. Um, um, hey, well, now I am doing my final summary interview. I interrupt other people, but other people aren't allowed to interrupt me. That's how it works in this situation. Um, so anyway, uh, I thought the acting was pretty atrocious. Uh, they did they did seem like stage actors that were not comfortable on camera. Maybe they're acting for the stage a little more than they were for the camera. So um, there's that. Uh, some were better than others, but overall not great. I do appreciate what the artistry of the director, I thought he was pretty good. And what they did on that budget was impressive. Um, so anyway, I, I think this is just a movie. It's it's is it is it a decent movie? Sure, uh, but to give it a number, I guess I'm just going to give it like a five. I don't think it's great. I don't think it's bad. It's just an average thing. And it's incredible talking to Mike, who this is his favorite movie of all time, of all the movies, of all the movies that have been made by all the greats. This one, this is the one he picks. Okay. All right, different strokes for different folks, but that's that's my review. Thanks, guys. All right, so your review is basically it's a movie. <laughs> All right, Mike, it's a movie. If you wonder, it's a movie. You know, I'll, I'll do mine, and then we'll let you finish. I'm I'm gonna let you finish because I want I want to go out on a high note on this one. So my take on this movie is I think I appreciate it a little bit more than Robert. I really enjoy the stylized look and feel of it, and especially the soundtrack. But I I do have the I was um what do you call it preconditioned or familiar with some of the the music from this from listening to your album multiple times and so i i was picking it up and it was really standing out to me the story yeah very straightforward and it borrows from some greek and other uh mythical stuff and i I appreciated that the acting was a little bit wooden i would agree with that and the action the fighting scenes were star trek level but the i can see why it has this cult classic feel to it like it's very much a a piece, a period piece. Like you can tell this was made in 1970 and you can appreciate it and look back on it and recognize that what they did with what they had was really quite amazing. And so I'm going to go with a 7.5 on this. So a full 25% more goodness from me. <laughs> and we will now go to Mike C. Okay. Uh, I don't know. This is objectively the greatest film ever made, I guess. The, um, I mean, yeah, the acting, I mean, it's not bad though. Uh, I think the plot is incredibly efficient. I think efficiency is often underrated in film. Um, a lot of convoluted shit doesn't really actually pay off uh, the way we think it does. We just we see these films and they're just they're bloated, and we're hyped to to you know we're hyped by the music and, and everything leading up to it. I mean, I I like this movie. I think the editing's tight, the lighting's tight. Uh, they did an insane amount of work with very little resources, and they worked very hard on something. And you can kind of see that. And yeah, it's got a sort of a science fiction quality to it or a surreal quality, something comic book-esque, um, which is, again is you know derived from some limitations and it just sort of coalesced. So you can really see that uh, multiple artists, the, the character designer, the costume designer played a you know huge impact on this. And then the director would go back and forth with her and you know let her do whatever. And 
uh, it's a collection of different minds coming together for something. Uh, and I think, I mean, despite it being pretty abstract and swift, I think we do get a lot of discussion about guest rights versus invasion and the violence of the, the authority of violence and how that's ultimately what protects your property and your sort of rights as a concept. Um, they do this again very swiftly and efficiently because it's just a quick forced march. Um, and in answer, uh, they're they're safer on Coney Island because they're not. It's not just nine guys in the gang. There's probably a hundred guys in the gang that have eked out um, safety in this neighborhood, and they probably have some sort of relationship with their citizens um, to protect them and maintain a certain level of conduct. And that can't be ensured from an invading force. So it discusses a lot of those things very efficiently and as a backdrop to what's going on. Um, I don't know. I, I just I just think it's a really great film. Um, and maybe it's just, you know, kind of hipster. Maybe that's why I like it. Maybe it's got some sort of like a, maybe I'm part of the, you know, they, they, they call it a cult following, you know, maybe that, maybe that says something about the person watching it. But uh, no, I think it's, uh, I think it's good. Um, I don't know, 15 out of 10, I guess. 15 out of 10. All right. So, so we uh, adjust for the uh, exchange rate and that brings it down to like a nine and a half. That's right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I well, managed to uh, I managed to like convert this into a metaphor for uh, what is it? Identity politics and central banking. So I mean, there's something there. Yeah, and and you're referring to your <laughs> or you can spin some. Yeah, no, you can make anything, anything else. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, very good. And Mike, the wedge. I appreciate you being our guest uh, yet again. You are one of our favorite guests, and I spell that with a U. Uh, Robert, next week, I think for episode 88, we're going to do American History X or Conspiracy. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no dog whistling here. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. Ha, ha, funny jokes. Ha, ha. We, we like. Uh, no, we're funny gonna do joke. Back to the Future, of course. We're going to go 88 miles an hour. And we're going to have a guest, Room. returning guest from, uh, he was here for It and The Shining. Doc Brown will be joining us to talk about Back to the Future next week when we come back. Uh, 30 years. And uh, we'll be space aliens. And we'll go to uh, the prom and introduce rock and roll. Something like that. And try and have sex with their moms. Wow, that's Sweet. gross. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Last Nighters. Uh, do check it out at lastnighter.com slash 87 for show notes and more. There's pre-show and post-show content available on Patreon. You can also find this on the Launchpad Media, where they're always launching new ideas in your direction. And do check out Mike C's work on the uh, show notes page. His album is quite good, and I highly recommend it. We'll see you next week on Back to the Future. Thanks, everyone. And good night from last night. All right, we'll continue the transmission for a bit longer on the Actual Anarchy podcast before we get into that Kathleen Turner overdrive, and we'll get into uh, some more specifics on the album that Mike put together. Uh, and it looks like he's away for a moment, but Robert, I will direct this to you. Uh, in reading up on this film, apparently real gangs were involved in both providing security with protection money for the production, and also they uh, the actors had to not wear any of the costume offset because it would have triggered some of the gangs in that area to think they were actually in gang flying colors. And one of the gangs is called the homicides, which I think is a brilliant name for a gang. So they were worried that these guys looked like real gang members or they the, actually the were. Production for the... Yeah. The, the actors uh, weren't able to wear the colors offset. Because... Hang on, hang on, Daniel. I think uh, the South America was trying to say something. 
No, was it? Yeah. Um, are you? Are you? Okay, so yeah, that that they um they had to kind of negotiate with the uh, the gangs in the areas that they were filming. Right, the actual gangs. So they went to the police and they said, "What's up with the gangs?" And the ga- the police gave them the intel that they had and said, "These are the safest areas for you to be doing what you want to do." Um, but on Coney Island specifically, like they had um a big dude pushing a uh you know a best boy or a graph or whatever out of the way and walking towards the set and and like stage managers saying like hey we're filming please don't walk on to, into the shot kind of thing so yeah. they're like because they're like what are these fuckers doing in colors on my in my area right yeah i heard that that so, they went through and ruined thousands of dollars worth of equipment oh yeah so pretty interesting so like, in real life like and there was gang fighting in the um in the theater that that's why it got pulled from the theaters right Exactly. So, Robert, sorry, we keep stopping. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just kind of blown this is, away. This is liquid gold, by the way. That's how you do it. Okay. Hmm. Oh, man. So, I'm just kind of blown away that these guys wearing those clothes were mistaken for real gang members. Is this how guys in the 70s and 80s dressed as? Well, you look at, like, the Superfly shit and, like, Rastafarians. Yeah. There were, in one scene in the movies, one of the gangs is all pimps. Like, pimp style. Well, I mean, there's that. I mean, that's that's... Um, exaggerated, but I don't think the Warriors were especially exaggerated. Like they're just wearing, you know, leather vests. Oh, you know what? That's pretty. I read realistic else. gangy. I read something about that. Um, apparently, their emblem on the back of the vest is similar enough to Hell's Angels that it pissed off the Hell's Angels, and uh, I guess they're very stringent about copyright. Yeah, yeah. Well, because they have standards to maintain through a monopoly of violence. But anyway, just a yes. little bit more through monopoly of violence. It's- but at least, you know, I mean, I, I like that better than Disney's version of, you know, enlisting the American military. Did I say Disney? I meant, um, oh, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> what are you afraid of, Mike? Um, being called uh, a specific kind of racist. That's like the ultimate taboo, apparently, these days. Uh, to well, badger pride, sir, these days. Yeah, I don't know. I just depends on what retards calling it. Well, I just, I mean, like, there are. There are guys that just own delis, and then there's, like, Netanyahu. You know what I mean? Like, those are not the same kind of... Whatever, if their ethnicity is the same, that's fine. But uh, I think the elite of any group is always... Like, that's the bad actor, generally speaking. And the peasantry of a subgroup tends to be condemned for the actions of the worst actors, right? Right, yeah, yeah. It's similar to... Like, the elite elite Jews, you know, uh, do bad things, and then peasantry Jews get blamed for it, ISIS is not a representation of Islam necessarily, you know. Right. Yeah, you're basically saying that the, you know, the elite, like white guys, aren't all school shooters. I guess is the equivalence. Right. Right. So it's more like the station um, that that particular group within a group has. They are more in like more alike with other of the elite of other groups than. Yeah. Like than, that's like like if Saudi Arabia, um, Israel, and America are all kind of on the same team. I don't know if it's about race. The color is green at that point. I think you know. Like the religion doesn't matter because <laughs> it's like Christian, Jew, Muslim, and the races are all slightly different. So, and they're they're all kind of like that. That's the triangle, right? And then you got China, Russia, and Iran. So we're just talking about power centers and power structures fighting each other for you know either either safety or instability or dominance, and which is you know kind of the same thing because it's like I feel like as soon as as soon as somebody gets safe, they start <laughs> they start you know as soon as an empire gets safe, it starts pushing out anyway, right? It seems like you've been reading the the Grand Chessboard by Zbigniew uh, Brzezinski, mm. something like that. Maybe. Well, anyway, um, 
that's probably enough of uh, the actual show here, the actual Anarchy podcast, which is episode one. Oh, we're still in actual Anarchy? Yeah, yeah, episode 144. Oh, shit, right sorry, I, I usually save the, you know, I save the, the, the grand checklist outside of that. Sorry, boys. Yeah, no, that's right. We're used to it. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that in Kathleen Turner just after this, which is available for Patreon supporters, actuallyanarchy.com slash Patreon. Please do give us likes and subscribes, reviews on the iTunes and all that. That helps uh, get the earballs and all of the other goods. Uh, like to uh, have you guys check out Mike C's work. We'll have the show notes on the page there, and, and you'll be able to get a link to that. Check it out. And we'll be back again next week with Back to the Future. Final word to Robert. I don't have any final words. We usually have some um, loving parting gifts for people or, you know, hugs and kisses and all that. Oh, man. The hugs and the love and the kisses I'm going to send through this microphone into your ears and down to your groins. Man, you're going to feel it in the, in the cockles of your heart. But you were, seriously, you guys are awesome. Really do appreciate all and each and every one of you guys who listens. Um, we'd probably be doing this anyway because we enjoy doing it. But and hopefully that that comes through. And you know, sometimes it probably doesn't always sound that way with our interesting quality. Let's put it that way. But um, no, every every single one of you guys listening is um, it's just kind of weird and awesome. So thank you for that. And right. we'll uh, we'll hear you. We'll we'll listen to you. We'll 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 talk at you next time. Chipmunks. C H I P M U N K. We're the chipmunks. Guaranteed to brighten your day. Do 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 days of the internet, radical libertarians were scattered, lonely, and faceless. Without direction, they resigned to scour the web, sifting through content providers in a wasteland plagued by YouTube demonetization, Facebook jail, and covert internet censorship. But then, in 2017, the Libertarian Union was formed. Finally, the average Joe Libertarian could find a thriving community of independent podcasters and content providers, all in one convenient location. At Libertarian Union, we'll always have the latest news, interviews, discussions, and even movie reviews. With hundreds of episodes and more added all the time, you'll always find something fresh at libertarianunion.com.